Welcome to SEC Football Live. My name is Braden Gall. Get to me on Twitter at Braden Gall, and please click that subscribe button if you are new to the program. We do appreciate you joining us. Today on the show, the Florida Gators, one of the most interesting programs in all of college football, a national championship caliber program, but we're not exactly sure how much growth is taking place. Joining us to explain all things Florida, David Waters of Gators Breakdown. Look, there are three programs in the SEC coming into 2024 with coaches that are under the most pressure to win. Sam Pittman, certainly the most pressure to win at Arkansas. Maybe to a lesser extent, Shane Beamer at South Carolina. But certainly Billy Napier is expected to make progress in 2024 at Florida. Now, they have made some progress, right? The offense has gotten better. There are plenty of areas where you can point to this program being better than when he got there. But is it enough? Is it enough to satisfy Gator Nation and Florida fans who expect national championships? Because that's the kind of program Florida is. So for those answers, we've got to turn to David. So here was my conversation. And again, give us a subscription. If you want to listen in podcast form, you can check SEC Football Live out everywhere you get your podcast. But we do appreciate you guys subscribing. So today on the show, again, David Waters, Gators Breakdown. Here was my conversation, long-form talk about what is going on in Gainesville. David Waters, Gators Breakdown. Welcome to the show. We do appreciate you giving us some time today, man. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, man, this uh, a little bit of warm weather after a cold snap. So, so that's, that's the beauty of living in Florida. You don't know what weather you're going to get. Well, what's this, what do they say about Florida? Just wait. 50, if you don't like the weather, wait 15 <laughs> minutes. That's, that's, Absolutely. that's, that's Absolutely. the rule. Uh, yeah, it was like six degrees in Nashville, and we had eight inches of snow in, in one day, which is like double our entire yearly total normally so uh but you florida folks your cold is a little different than, yeah. than us than the rest of us even in tennessee so uh, no, good. i got i got a go in life uh never shovel snow uh, and i think i'm pretty <laughs> safe on that one yes yes you are uh well we're gonna get into a lot of stuff i want to talk about the roster in 2024 and the new sec and all that other stuff and where florida fits into all of that uh, i have a pretty good idea i assume you do as well but I want to start sort of big picture with the progress and the evolution of the program under Billy Napier going into year three. I, I think uh, we can talk about some specific stuff here, but I just want to get start very broadly with the pulse of the fan base on on where he is. There has been progress in lots of areas that's clear, and we'll get to some of that stuff, but it's got to come in the form of wins eventually. So where is the fan base right now on Billy Napier in general? Um. Knowing that this is a critical year uh, in, in year three, uh, and uh, I'd say you're probably about as split as you have been since Billy Napier's been hired. Um, everybody, I think everybody acknowledges the issues that he came into and trying to take over for Dan Mullen. And, and look, he chose to rebuild. Uh, he didn't choose to hit the transfer portal very heavy early on. He chose to build through high school recruiting. And now I think as we have come through his first two first two seasons now that that may not have been the best approach. And some of that is you didn't know how to forecast transfer portal and how to forecast NIL. And then you got like a player like, you know, Trevor Etienne, who's going to your biggest rival in Georgia. You would be able to sell him on, Hey, come help us build this thing. You'll be here to help us build. I think guys, some, some guys, some guys like Etienne are just, they're tired of losing. Uh, and you're like, hey, I got one more year, so let me go make the best of that one year. So I think Billy Napier's probably learned some harsh realities along with the fan base that, hey, this is a new world of college football. This way you built that Louisiana of trusting relationships, all that stuff still has a place. 
but it's a different world uh, right now. So I do think he's been, I still think given some grievance um, just to learn on the job and know how big of a job this is the first two years. But at the same time, Braden, as you said, it ultimately comes down to wins and losses and how Florida has lost games and the teams that they've lost to. A lot of those are inexcusable. And in critical year three with the nation's toughest schedule, the way it looks right now, I mean, it's year three. You've built your roster in your image right now. It is time to take a step, no matter how hard the schedule is. Hey, well, it's, isn't, doesn't it make it easier as an as a analyst, as someone judging Billy Napier? And I guess that would make sense for the fans, too. Doesn't it make it easier that, that he's sort of in a make-or-break year? And we could talk about Sam Pittman at Arkansas, maybe to a lesser extent, Shane Beamer at South Carolina. But like, it's sort of like, look, dude, like we we could say all the positive things we want to about the things that you have done well, but at the end of the day, like it it almost makes it easier to cover and analyze because it's sort of just like you you got to show progress this year or not, and if that's the case, even if you've done a lot of things to set this program up for success in the future, which I think you you might agree he has for the next guy if he's not the guy again hypothetically here, yeah, uh, it, doesn't it make it easier to analyze the season in, in that in that way? I, I think so. Um, I think the, the the wrench that's probably in that is A.D. Scott Strickland. He's going to be patient. I mean, this is his job for a lot of intents and purposes may be tied to Billy Napier. If there's no pressure on him, how much pressure is there on Billy Napier? Because, you know, he may want to hang on. Of course, I'm sure he wants to hang on to his A.D. job a little while longer, but he doesn't <laughs> get a chance to hire a third football coach. Yeah. So he's going to probably be a little more patient with Billy Napier. If it's another six-win season, it's like, all right, well, there is some progress. We are going to a bowl game. It's not where we want to be in year three. I don't think the fan base mostly will 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 accept that. Um, so I think it's depending on Braden just how much pressure is on Strickland. What the, the, yeah. the, the, the fa- How much pressure is the fan base going to put on Billy Napier after six wins with this schedule coming up? And I, I hate to put parameters on it. But it is a tough schedule, and Florida could be a much better team, and the record won't show it because of that crazy November <laughs> that they yeah, have. Yeah. Um, but it's I, I think there's just so many angles to look at Billy Napier and progress. Uh, but all in all, for me, as you said, as an analyst, yeah, to me, it is kind of cut and dry. I, I think you've got to have a better record. You've got to show it. Year three, it doesn't matter what the schedule does. If, if Florida is Florida, if Florida is on the correct path, you should be better than six and six, seven and five, no matter how hard yeah. that schedule is. No, I, I, I tend to, I tend to agree with that. Yeah. Five top 15 teams to finish. We'll get to that. Um, do that. Does Florida have, for those that don't sort of, uh, you know, for fans around the conference, we, we sort of know that Auburn's boosters like to metal, that they get involved in coaching hires. They get involved in the firings, Texas A&M's. It was very clear to me that it was not the athletic director who made the decision to, uh, <laughs> fire Jimbo Fisher and hire Mike Elko by the look on his face at the press conference. Uh, we know the oil money is driving those things. This is how college football works. It's not yep. not it's not unique to any any one school. But I, I think there are programs that have more meddlesome folks and less meddlesome folks. Where does Florida rank on the scale of the big money folks who would would be the ones that are sort of putting that pressure on Scott Strickland? Um, they, I'd say they don't have as many number. The, the the big number of those big time boosters. There's plenty of money. Sure. Um, I think it's untapped from where it should be. Uh, I think there could be more. I mean, look, if you follow Florida on social media, you the conversations are out there. It's hey, here's NIL. Here's how you can help. You you know, could you need to help these boosters? These few select boosters 
who are kept getting going to over and over again. And those are the same ones that, hey, when something needs to be yep. done, those are the same ones that have to get involved. Um, so it's there. It's untapped. As far as meddling, um, I think it's there. Uh, and, and they really like Billy Napier. And I, I think a lot of the probably reputation is to be some of those guys who contribute would rather have a coach they could go have a beer with than <laughs> win. They want to win their way instead of just winning. And I think that's kind of caused a rift between a lot of the fan base that, you know, can't contribute to big dollars, but want to see the Gators win versus the people who do have some influence. Are, are you suggesting playing golf with Billy Napier is more enjoyable than playing <laughs> golf with Dan Mullen or Urban Meyer? What? <laughs> I'm, I'm shocked yeah. by that. Yeah, um, maybe. But uh, I mean, it, uh, <laughs> September through December, I have to start counting for something. Yes, and, uh, no, I, <laughs> I agree. Like, I, I, I only ask that because like Georgia, for some reason, feels... Like they let let the let the folks in charge do the job. Yeah. Now it also led to like thirty years and of uh, forty years of not winning championships. But it it seems like Georgia is one of the most hands off sort of program. Or Tennessee sometimes is just bonkers. Like the the boosters are just way too in charge, and you know the the whole thing. So I always find that dynamic to be in, in, incredibly interesting because that is the pressure we're talking about that would eventually land on an athletic director. It doesn't come from like. The message boards, although the big boosters are on those as well, <laughs> <They> um, <are. laughs> it, it's it comes from the folks that are writing the checks for the big stuff. That that you yep. know, when you go ask somebody for hundred million dollars to build X or to build Y, they they want to say in it and they want to play golf on Monday with the coach and ask yeah. him about ask him about that that play call on third down. In <laughs> a tough situation for Florida, in, in this situation, Braden would be, and, and I hate speaking kind of hypothetical about you know maybe firing Billy Napier or whatever, but after year three, if you do, you're paying Dan Mullen, yeah, paying Billy Napier. And you're paying your break. You're paying three coaches at that point. There's so, a lot. There's I mean, a lot lined up. If he just gets to, we'll get to this. But we're already yeah. kind of ahead of ourselves. But seven, you could get to seven wins pretty easily, I think. And mm -hmm. it does feel like le less pressure. The contract situation. Uh, my my view of this, and this is ultimately my next question, is that there's there needed to be so much building done of the program itself following the Dan Mullen regime. And we could talk about recruiting in this, which, you know, maybe it's been it's been better, I, I would argue, than under Dan Mullen for sure. But top, you know, top 15 classes aren't aren't going to get it done against Georgia um, over the mm -hmm. over the course of the long term. So while it's been better than Dan Mullen, it's maybe not where it needs to be. At least that's my outside perspective. And then, of course, there's the big NIL stuff. You've got the NCAA thing, which, I you know, eventually we knew the NCAA was going to have to start pulling on some reins here. To, for this stuff and obviously florida had a high profile situation which was kind of silly but um where, where is florida from an infrastructure standpoint on recruiting nil and collective which which is all about roster management where are they today under billy napier and what has he done that like from where he when he got here because that was always my thing is he needs to build that is that taking place has that happened in your mind yeah, and I do think kind of going back to our previous point there, a lot of learning on the job uh, in, in that situation. And that was things he didn't have to deal with at Louisiana uh, and come to Florida, and that's when Transfer Portal takes off. That's when NIL takes off. And first you had Gator Collective, and of course that folded with the Rashada situation. And now you have uh, Florida Victorious, which has, you know, right, right up there. I mean, it's from all, what I can gather, one of the top 10 collectives in, in the country uh, that, that Florida has. And 
And I, I, they, they're learning. Uh, I still think uh, along the way, I, I don't think it's where where Tennessee is in their NIL and Oregon and what they have going on as well. Um, but it's it, it, it is getting better. And I, I think they they don't dive full like Billy Napier. And I'll take him for his word. I, I, I didn't want to believe it at the time. We don't want to get in bidding wars. Well, I, I, they have a NFL tiered system of here's a player position, and this is how much they're worth, and this is this is we're going to follow this. And fan base may disagree with it; it may keep you from getting some getting some players. But I do think they go with a more pro approach to how they want to build a roster. Um, and in relation to recruiting, Braden, I think for Florida, yeah, you're not where you need to be to compete with Georgia and Alabama. LSU, Texas, Oklahoma coming in. But we know this roster is better than losing to Kentucky and losing to Arkansas. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's not a do, – do, do Florida fans want to catch up with Georgia? Absolutely. That's, that's, the, that's the goal. But at this point, you have a roster still good enough to beat those other teams. So the recruiting has got to start paying off to go win those games you're supposed to. Go win the games you're in position to win more so than granted. That's where you, you want to be at the top of the SEC. But right now, recruiting shows, hey, you got to be better than those teams that you're supposed to be beating, and that's not yeah. even what's happening right now. Yeah, I mean, the Arkansas game is the big one, of course, that, that everybody circles. It, so, again, let me let me ask this maybe in a different way. If I if I said Florida was 10th in the SEC out of 14, let's say I'm, I'm just making up a number yeah. here. Let's say they're 10th in roster management, NIL collective and recruiting all together when Billy Napier arrived. And that includes support staff, that, that includes analysts, that includes scouting departments that have to scout not just high school players, but college players. It, would you say that they're five or six now? Would you say that they're two or three? I mean, Tennessee, the Texas schools, Ole Miss, even though they lost Judkins to Ohio State, is very good. Oh, Missouri's doing a very good job at man yeah. managing their roster. Some of this is all about state legislation, I, I acknowledge, but... Would you would you say that that again? I'm trying to make it very yeah. simplified here and, and reductive. But is that if they were bottom third, are they now top third in all of those categories? In your opinion, I'd say middle of the pack. Okay. I, I, honestly, I I don't think they're at bottom. They're obviously better. Mississippi State, South Carolina, Arkansas. They're they're Kentucky. Yeah. Taking all that into account, yes. Um, now you can start <laughs> questioning player development, and, and that's why you're losing to Kentucky, you know, yeah. three years in a row, and an Arkansas game last year. Yeah, of course. Uh, uh, but if you want to talk pure garnering talent, gaining talent, I'd say Florida probably middle of the pack in the SEC, which is probably not where the Florida Gators no. program should be. So, no. so you, you, ultimately, you, that's the problem. Absolutely, you, 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 everybody knows the, the the money this program can invest needs to invest yeah. you've seen it it's just not where it's yeah not not where it needs to be right now well we'll get to the defense but let's start on offense because this is where there's just clear and obvious development and progression grant graham mertz I, I you know i was born in madison wisconsin my father's a huge wisconsin fan i um so I, I i through osmosis i watched a lot of graham mertz and he was a i, I didn't recognize him last year uh <laughs> totally different player and uh, the completion percentage and the efficiency and the way he managed the offense, it felt like, you know, Billy Napier got to do a lot of the things he wants his offense to do for the first time. And that includes a very talented player in Anthony Richardson. So, you know, that's clear progress. That's that's one of the few things he can say, look, look what we've done with this. And he's coming back next year. 
Now, you mentioned you lose ETN, of course, to, to an arch rival. That hurts. But offensively, uh, I don't people don't I don't think if you ask the average SEC fan outside of Gainesville, like, hey, where was Florida ranked in yards per play on offense the last couple of years? I guarantee you they would not tell you that Florida is one of the top offenses in the conference, uh, but they are. And so Graham Mertz coming back. What are expectations for the offense and can they win games? There, there's a lot of swing games on this schedule when you look yep. at, at Mississippi State and you mentioned Kentucky. These are not supposed to be swing games, but I think LSU and Ole Miss are swing games. Yeah. If, if you look at these games. Can they win them with offense and Graham Mertz and having a quarterback that is, you know, in a what is going to be a very good quarterback conference next year, one of the better quarterbacks in the league? Uh, no, I don't think so. And that's not a slam on Graham Mertz. I, I, I just, that's what we saw last year, going to your point, Braden. I think there is a step, and I think he will take a step. How big is that step? Uh, I, I still think that's to be determined. Uh, I had him, shameless plug, I had him on the podcast about a month ago. Uh, on Gators Breakdown. So if you want more extensive look at things that he's looking to improve on, of course, you, you can go listen to that. But highlights from that are it is you know taking maybe some more chances and maybe testing the ball down the field a little bit more. Part of that completion percentage you were talking about, a lot of that was because he settled and, and trying to give, you know, give Ricky Pearsall a chance to make a play or Trey Wilson to make a play. Uh, but now you know he, he brings in Chimray DK, which is a, a wide receiver there at Wisconsin who – put up some really good numbers a couple years ago, didn't really fit into the new offensive style at Wisconsin last year. So transfers to be with us quarterback. They're Graham Mertz from a couple years ago at Wisconsin. So a familiarity there, maybe a growth with Trey Wilson, who was a all freshman receiver uh, last year as well. So you can see where Graham Mertz can be better. An offensive line's got to help protect him as well, but he wants to get better at, at testing the ball down the field a bit more. So I do think there is growth, but, you know, just kind of not to bury the lead, and I know we'll get to it, but it, it's kind of what we saw last year, Braden, with even though he he would play good and he would go throw for 300 yards, close to 400 yards, and the defense has given up 500 yards, it, it just kind of gets, yeah. you know, it, it gets too hard to overcome. Uh, and we've seen that for Florida the last couple of years. Not just a, it's not just a Graham Mertz thing. It, it's a Florida thing uh, lately of offense doing enough, but the defense is kind of letting them down. So... While there are steps, I think given how difficult the schedule is, even a, another jump on offense, if there's no jump on defense, it just kind of gets, yeah. I think, blanketed. But it gives you it gives you at least like a known variable, if, if yeah. nothing else. Like you, you're going to get efficient quarterback play and you're going to score some points and the offense will be prepared and probably manage very well. Um, now, some of the other things, you know, the special teams – like some of the some of the mistakes last year are some of the things that really caught my eye. You know, guys, again, we all point to the one against Utah with two guys on the field. So ultimately, my my first question about the defense is how would you evaluate Austin Armstrong? You're bringing in Ron Roberts, of course, from from Auburn to help with that. Some veteran experience is certainly probably a good thing. How would you evaluate the staff's job on defense in, in again throughout the course of Napier's tenure? Yeah, I mean, they've made a ton of changes on that side of the ball. As you mentioned, bringing Ron Roberts in, but uh, Will Harris comes in as defensive back coach. Corey Raymond goes back to LSU. Uh, you got Chapman bringing him in from from uh, Tulane there as a far as defensive line coach. When Sean Spencer goes to Texas A&M. Uh, Jay Bateman, the linebacker coach, goes to Texas A&M. So it's a complete new look on, on the staff uh, as far as the defensive side goes. Uh, they hit the transfer portal hard uh, and I think brought in some really good players here. First off, beating Grayson Howard there from transferring from South Carolina, uh, kind of close to my heart here in Jacksonville. So I was glad to see him come back home there because <laughs> I got to know him a little bit. But, you know, good for him to come back home where Florida needs a whole lot of help at, at linebacker. 
So they don't have to rely on a great true freshman class that's coming in, but you don't want to have to rely on them. So, you know, Shamar James coming back from injury as well, one of the SEC's best linebackers. So you got a little bit worried there, but it's it we've been it sounds like a broken record, Braden. It's like they can't be any worse. And they find a way uh, yeah. to, to, to be worse, but they've they've hit the transfer portal. They've rehauled the staff there, so you got to hope Austin Armstrong's second year of experience. And also, and Ron Roberts is somebody he's looked up to. I mean, they were there at Louisiana under Billy Napier, early in Billy Napier's tenure. There is a familiarity there. You know, not 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 everybody's learning something new here. The players are two years under Austin Armstrong. Maybe Ron Roberts can unlock something with all the experience he brings in this defense. I think what we still want to learn is how how is that going to work? I mean, Austin Armstrong was the defensive coordinator last year. You do bring kind of his mentor in. What's the responsibility is going to be like? Is there going to be – I don't think there will be a rift. I mean, I'm sure this was well-researched and well-thought out, and there's really good friendships here to go along, but when Roberts kind of come in and take control, is it a 50-50 split? How does a 50-50 split work? Uh, we haven't got a chance to talk to Billy Napier about how this will work out yet. Uh, so I think that's you know coming up. Probably one of the biggest storylines going into spring practices – What's this defense going to look like as far as all the transfers they brought in and how's the coaching staff responsibility is going to be broken up? It, you know, it's funny. I got, you, you beat Tennessee early. You could see the aggressiveness, you know, that was what Austin Armstrong preached when he got there. And then it sort of just kind of sputtered, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't know if that's the right word over the last, and maybe that's too kind of a word. Um, <laughs> so philosophically, I'm fascinated to see what they do because they do have some deficiencies. You mentioned the portal, of course, Florida, they're like eight of their top 11 or in the portal are all on defense. Uh, most of the top players in the portal are on defense. So yeah. it's, it's hard. Like it's, it, I think it's hard to, you know, it's funny. LSU is kind of going through the same thing. Their defense last year, absolutely atrocious. They hire a new coach. I think they upgraded their coordinator situation. So they're going to be better. How much better is sort of going to dictate where they are, but they also tried to do the same thing last year by, you know, adding a bunch of portal players to, to, to change their secondary and it didn't work. They work. Yep. So and, I, and, I, I don't and the know. For Florida, for the, the, I think the weird thing is kind of going back to last year, they actually were a better defense down to down, but then they would give up the 40, 50 yard play just yeah. out of nowhere. And that was, that was the consistent worst part of the defense. They actually were better, but it got erased by giving up the explosive plays, you know, game in and game out. Well, I, uh, every coach I've ever, ever spoken with is always mentioned. There's a few things they always talk about, right? It's, it's like, oh, it's turnovers and mistakes and penalties. It's the same kind of cliches. And then they're always now the new one in 2020. Let's say the 2020s is like, oh, X place. Got to stop with the X place. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's certainly the case there. So ultimately, when I look at the schedule, uh, I don't think there's a single team in America that would trade schedules. I think you tweeted as much um, yeah. with Florida that, that 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 month of November. I don't have to tell any Florida fans about it. But <laughs> it's funny that I, I look at home games against Miami and Texas A&M as opportunities. Texas A&M, Texas A&M is going to be better, but maybe not by week three. Yeah, uh, Miami, I, I don't trust Mario Cristobal, but they've got a lot of talent. So I. I think they can win both of those games. And I feel like if they win both of those games at home and then they sort of do what they're supposed to do. And I don't mean that like yeah. an old school Florida sense, but I just mean like win the games they're favored in and maybe lose the games that they're obviously underdogs in, you know, Texas, Georgia, et cetera. Maybe a split with LSU and Ole Miss. Like I, I see a path to hitting the over on the win total and seven and five pretty easily, actually. So that maybe puts eight and four in reach. If, 
is that is that crazy to to look at that if the defense is just average in the SEC? Well, if the offense takes another step, and I think we can't overlook DJ Lagway comes in as well, and you know we talked about Graham Mertz, but is he too good to keep off the field as well? You know, and I think where Florida may need some help in the run game, can they turn to DJ Lagway at the quarterback spot to help get the run game going as well? Um, and so you mentioned that you know can he be ready to go by? You know, beginning of the season where you got some home games, a kind of friendly environment for him. It shouldn't be too much for him there against Miami and, and against Texas A&M in the first month of the season. Um, how much pressure is on Billy Napier and Mark? I mean, they probably and Mario Cristobal for, for for game one here. I mean, they, they both they both have been kind of building, I think, for this third year and they're recruiting to kind of take off uh, for, for both these programs. Now, Cam Ward coming in from Miami. Um, you know, Florida should have, you got home field advantage, Cam Ward making his first start for Miami here in the swamp. I mean, I, I'm very interested to see what, what the line would be for that game. I could see it being a pick them just because of all the questions surrounding Florida or anything yeah, like that. Yeah. But I think you get that game. You probably can build some momentum. I mean, Florida two years in a row, first year game one versus Utah, win that early season game at home. Last year, Tennessee's your first big game at home. You win that game. So there's kind of been a trend for Billy Napier to win that first big home game of the year. Can it continue in the year three? Where there is, they just turn around and laid an egg right after that. Yeah. But uh, but you, maybe you build that momentum and you know how critical this year is. But like you said, it, it, it kind of does line up friendly in the first half of the schedule. Yep. You get Miami game one. Can you take advantage? You get Elko early on. UCF comes to the swamp. You got to go Tennessee. Seven and five is a record that's thrown out a lot for Florida. But when you look at November and there's those five games right there, does that mean you have to start seven and oh to go seven and five? I mean, it would be kind of reminiscent of this past season. You know, Florida's five and two going into the Georgia game, feeling really good. There's some upset picks of Florida beating Georgia. And all of a sudden, you don't don't win another game. Uh, So if you start seven and oh, how would it? in a way, if, if Florida starts seven zero, of course I'd hope Florida ends up better than seven and five. But that's going to be an interesting case study. If Florida starts seven and zero, but you go zero four, yeah, in November, what's the what's the feeling like? I mean, I, of course, I, how they look is probably going a long way in that. But seven and five after starting a seven and zero, I I don't think we'll start seven and zero. They'll probably uh, yeah. lose somewhere. But six and one is how I project it, and then I think. Yeah. Because I think Florida State's taking a huge, huge step back. Yeah. Um. So I think LSU, Ole Miss, Florida State. I think you get one of those for sure. Yep. Um. And, and it, uh, best case scenario, maybe you get two. So again, I that's where eight wins comes into play. I. I yeah. But I think to your point, and to your point about about Lagway and uh, like, like we can wrap this entire thing up here. If they're seven and five, there's not as much pressure on the athletic director to then put pressure on the head coach. Nothing gets a fan base more excited than flashes of brilliance from a freshman quarterback who's used sparingly. <laughs> it's it's like a drug that you just like slow drip into the veins. Like, oh, he he, he only plays four games, so he maintains his redshirt year, but he helps you win in a couple of spots. Looks pretty Wait, good. We saw it two we saw it two years ago. Dan Mullen gets fired, <laughs> but how excited were we were for Anthony Richardson? Yes. Well, the ten, I mean, <laughs> you don't have to talk to Tennessee fans about Nico and <laughs> right, right. You know, like o- Oklahoma yeah. fans about Jackson Arnold, and like there's yeah. a lot of good young talented guys that are going to get those. It, nothing gets a fan base going better than just like, oh, he's not ready yet, but we're going to give you some some flashes of it. Um, and he goes seven and five, and they pull an upset at home and looks like you got your quarterback of the future. 
is that enough then for everyone to say, okay, all right, we'll do it one more time. Let's run it back. I, I think so. And personally for me, it is, if you could tread water enough this year, I think Billy Napier deserves the chance to see what he can do with DJ Lagway. Now it will have to pay immediate dividends in 2025. Yeah. But if you can tread water enough and if it's still, you get whatever this feeling Gator nation has right now, if it's still the same feeling next November, ride with him and see what you can get out of DJ Lagway with him. DJ Lagway is tied to Billy Napier. He loves Billy Napier. He's come to Florida. The recruiting class in some ways falls apart. He still stays. He still sticks. He wants to be with Billy Napier. So there's a belief in the quarterback for the head coach. If he can tread water, I do think there is uh, there's enough there to say, all right, you've got to see him with his hand-picked quarterback. Now, it's, it is kind of weird to me. We're heading into year three for Billy Napier, and we still have not seen his quarterback yet. One year of Anthony Richardson, two years of Graham Mertz. It's going to be, if he gets year four, it'll be year four before we see him with his hand-picked quarterback. As a, as a high school recruit. So maybe that's enough of a leash to say, all right, you, you, yep. you got to take that step with him, his first year starting. And and still a top five pick with one of them and major progress yep. with the other one and one of the more right. efficient, efficient players in the, in the conference. So it's going to be a fascinating year in Florida. I think they're one of the most interesting teams in all of the conference, all of the country. Uh, I think they're going to be better than people think but I wonder how much the schedule limits that. So we'll see. Uh, We'll see about the defense. Uh, Gators Breakdown, of course, great uh, product for you guys who are out there who are not Gators fans who want to check out the Florida Gators. Make sure you check out David's work. Man, thank you so much, man. We appreciate you. And uh, have a good one, my man. Good to see you. All right, Brady. Thanks, man.